This will be our last uh, sermon on the book of Jude. And Jude is just a preacher's dream because uh, when you look in Jude, there's three things that he mentions oftentimes. And preachers were taught that every sermon has to have three points. You have an introduction, you have one, two, three points, you have a closing, and then you shut up and go home. But today, it just so happens that my sermon has about five points, so I kind of broke the rule there. But Jude is an excellent book because he tells us things, and I talked about this before, but again, just to remind you, Jude tells us some things that the other 65 books of the Bible, yeah, 65, 65 books of the Bible, I'm losing it today. Okay, but you take Jude away at 65. Jude tells us, see, I, I'm all right, I'm all right, I haven't lost it yet. Jude tells us something that the other 65 books do not tell us, and so there are three of those, right? The first one is that um, God has angels in chains reserved for judgment. He also tells us that at Moses' death, Michael the archangel disputed with the body, with, with the devil, over the body of Moses. And then the third thing that he tells us in verse 14 is that Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied, he told about the future. And so maybe that's why he named his son Methuselah, because Methuselah typically means, when I die, the deluge will come. Duh. And so Enoch, the prophet, named his son Methuselah. And so here in verse number one, the second number three uh, pointers, is that Jude calls us three different things. He says we are called, we are sanctified, and we are preserved in Christ Jesus. That's us today. That's Christians. We have been called. We have been sanctified. We are preserved in Christ Jesus. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, it seems to me like that Jude wanted to write this letter to his audience about a certain topic, but at the last moment, he seems like he almost changes his mind and he kind of warns them that they cannot fall away that they must be faithful. And so what does he do? He gives us three examples of people that have fallen away. And so you hear it in the religious world today, once saved, always saved, or once in grace, always in grace. In other words, once I accept Jesus Christ and become a Christian, I can never fall away. Jude says baloney on that. Because he gives us three examples. We have them here. In verse number five, I want to remind you, and he goes on and talks about God's people who were saved out of Egypt, and then they turned, and afterwards they did not believe in God. They were saved by God, but yet later on they failed to believe in him. That's one group of people that were once saved but they weren't always saved, were they? And then in verse number six, he talks about angels. Angels who are in heaven, who have never sinned. Uh, they, they live for eternity. But these angels did not keep their proper domain. And so God cast them out. So that's a second group of people that were saved, but they weren't always saved, were they? 
And then the third group of people is in verse number 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that story, don't we? We were taught that as kids, that they were destroyed by God because of their immorality. And so Jude gives us three examples of people that were destroyed because they did not believe or because they were once saved and then they turned their back on God. And so Jude seems to take this opportunity to warn us and to encourage us that we need to be faithful to God. I mean, this life is short. We have seen three examples in the past two weeks of how short life is, haven't we? And probably many more cases that we uh, know of. And so Jude felt it necessary to encourage his readers to earnestly contend for the faith that he mentions there in verse number three. People were falling away from the faith Ungodly men were changing the grace of God, (coughs) that's in verse 4, into lewdness, he says. Men were creeping into the church and they were changing what God told them and asked of them to do. And so now Jude is going to end his letter here. In verses 17 through verse 23, he is going to end his letter by encouraging people, his audience, to be faithful. So let's read these verses and we'll go back and we'll make some commentary about them. Jude 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in uh, the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that was defiled by the flesh. And so Jude is trying to encourage his audience that they need to remain faithful. But as we can see here in verse number 17, the first thing that he says, he uses the word beloved. Two different times, one in verse 17 and then another in verse number 20, he uses the word beloved, a a term of endearment, if you will, to tell them, hey, brothers and sisters, I love you. And because I love you, I am going to warn you about the things that are going on now, and I want to encourage you that you need to be faithful. You need to stick this thing out. And so it's with love that Jude is trying to encourage them to be faithful. But here in verse number 17, my point, my first point, is that Jude tells them to remember the words that were written before or spoken before by the apostles. That word remember appears quite a bit in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's there for us to remember what God did and how God treated his people in the, in the old times. 
But we, it says here that it was spoken by the apostles. That reminds me of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. That should be a verse that we have quoted by memory. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The early church was steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. And so what that tells me is, is that the apostles were directed by Jesus himself on what to say and what to write. And so then we are therefore supposed to keep the apostles' doctrine because it is as if Jesus was speaking to us today. Now the word apostle just simply means one who was sent. And so when you go through the New Testament, it, it mentions the word apostles quite a bit. And even Jesus in the book of Hebrews is referred to as the apostle. He was sent by God himself, wasn't he? And so God sent Jesus down to heaven. And then Jesus sent out his 12 apostles. And they did and, and spoke and wrote what Jesus asked them to do. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they are referred to as ambassadors. Paul says we as apostles are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. What does an ambassador do? Well, we have them today, don't we? The president may send someone to uh, China, for example, and that person may be an ambassador. And what does that ambassador do? They speak on the behalf of the President of the United States. The President calls the ambassador in. He says, I want you to tell the Chinese government this, this, and this. And it's the same thing as if the President were to go over there and say that to them by himself. And so an ambassador is a person who speaks for the President, or in this particular case, the ambassador speaks for the King. And so that's why we keep the Apostles' Doctrine. That's why we keep the Word of God, because it is just as if Jesus himself was speaking to us. And so what have the Apostles said? Well, he tells us here in verse number 18, they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. 2 Peter chapter 3, just go back a couple books. 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 1, Peter, who was a, an apostle, right? He tells us this. 2 Peter chapter 3, and in verse number 1, Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by ways of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, said in the last days, there will be people that will laugh and make fun of you. Think that happens today? 
Yeah. Second Timothy chapter four, just go back a few more books. Second Timothy chapter four and verse three and four, the apostle Paul says this. Second Peter chapter four and verse number three. Excuse me, second Timothy chapter four and verse three. Paul says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desire, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You think that time has come? People no longer want to hear the truth. They just want to have their ears tickled. Do you ever do that with a person? You take a feather and kind of tickle their ear, so they kind of grab their ear and scratch it a little bit. That's what people want today. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to have their ears tickled. They want to feel good. And so the apostles have given us warning. But back in Jude, verse number 18, he tells us that we need to build up our faith. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's in verse number 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. He says, you, beloved, build up yourselves. That sounds to me like that's personal, doesn't it? That is something that you have to do on your own. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 that we are to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that puts the emphasis on ourselves. That puts the emphasis on me growing myself as a Christian. It is not simply enough for us to simply idle on for the rest of our life. We have to be continuing to move forward. And so the responsibility is personal. He says, you, beloved, build yourself up your most holy faith. Yourself implies a personal responsibility. If you come here to get something out, you come for the wrong reason. If you come here today and say, oh, I didn't get anything out of that message. That was pitiful. They probably shouldn't pay the preacher that week. Because I didn't get a thing out of that. Well, guess what? You came for the wrong reason. Because Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 gives us the reason, doesn't it? We are to be in fellowship with one another. You come here today, whether you know it or not, you came here today to bring something to this body of Christ. You came here today, whether you know it or not, you encouraged someone who is here in the audience today because you were here. When you're not here, you can't encourage us. And so the responsibility relies on each and every one of us. Yes, we have our church family. Yes, we have each other that we can call and text and email and social media one another and say, hey, I'm having a problem. Can you pray for me and help me? But ultimately, it's up to us. Jesus never forced himself on anyone. Jesus never did that. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. It's up to you, it's up to I, whether we open that door. 
But he says there in verse number 20, he talks about the most holy faith. And I'm sure that is a reference back to verse number 3, where he talks about the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. That's the doctrine that we believe in. That's the doctrine that we teach. It is the faith that was revealed one time for all times. And we talked about that about three weeks ago. This faith was delivered one time for eternity. We don't need to expect uh, another gospel. We don't need to expect God to come down and, and to reveal something else to us. We have everything that we need. Our faith is our doctrine. Our faith is the basis of our religion. But Jude also says something here in verse 20 that's interesting. He says that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. What exactly does that mean? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, we know, first of all, that prayer is just simply a complement to the Word of God, isn't it? We know this, but God talks to us through His Word. We talk to God through prayer. And so whenever I'm doing one but not the other, or whether I'm not doing either one, that communication between me and God is going to be hindered, isn't it? If I don't read my Bible, I'm not going to be the Christian I need to be because my Father is not talking to me. If I don't talk to God in prayer, my Christian life is not where it needs to be because I am not communicating to my Heavenly Father. Both of those things go hand in hand. The Word of God is the source of all strength and comfort. In Philippians chapter 4, keep your finger there in Jude and go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 in verse number 6. <clears throat> Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, prayer. Boy, we need to learn that lesson, don't we? We need to learn that lesson that we don't need to worry, we don't need to be anxious about the things that are going on around us. I've seen a statistic that says that like 90% of the things that we worry about, we have no control over anyway. And so we can't change those things. The only thing that we can really change is, is this one, can't we? And we do that by prayer. We do it by supplication. And so quit worrying. Quit being anxious about things that you cannot uh, control anyway or change and change the person that you can change. And that really shows the value of prayer, talking to God. He wants to talk with us. He wants to communicate with us. He is our Heavenly Father. He wants us to pray to Him. Think of it this way. Think of prayer and think of the Word of God as two legs on which our spiritual well-being is balanced on. Did you ever try to balance on one leg? You're kind of, ooh, this is harder than what I thought. That's only, that's only if you got the word or if you only got the, the prayer. But if you got both feet, 
You're not going to move, are you? And that's the way it needs to be. We, we can become balanced when we have the Word of God and we have prayer working together. But what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, we are told in other places, and because of lack of time, I'll just kind of give you the gist of them. We are told to pray in the Spirit here in Jude. And then in Galatians chapter 5, we are told to walk in the Spirit. And we're also told to live in the Spirit. And so the question is, how do I do this? And I believe that the answer to prayer is, when we walk and we pray and we live in harmony with the Holy Spirit... And the Spirit teaches us through the Word of God. And so diligent prayer and diligent study of the Word of God is essential to keep us from falling away from God. Praying in the Holy Spirit is just being harmonized with what the Holy Spirit wants and needs out of our life. My fourth point is in verse number 21. He says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourself, he says, in the love of God. Again, that's a personal responsibility, isn't it? Keep yourself in the love of God. As we've always mentioned before, God hasn't moved. God is in the same place that he was many years ago. If we have gotten further away from God, it's because we have moved. It's not because God moved. And so Jude tells them that they are to keep themselves in the love of God. I mentioned this on week one, but you may have forgotten it. But the word keep... It's the same word as in verse number one when it uses the word preserved. That's the same Greek word. Preserved and keep are the same word. And so we can read it this way. Preserve yourself in the love of God. Kind of shows to me the importance of doing that. John chapter 14 in verse number 15, Jesus simply says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus this morning? Are you willing to do what Jesus wants you to do? I like what it says in 1 John chapter 5. So let's turn back and, and read that. 1 John chapter 5. Remember the Apostle John is referred to as the Apostle of Love. He talks more about this subject than any other writer in, in Scripture. So he says this in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. <clears throat> By this we know that we love the children of God <coughs> when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. How can we know that we love God's people? How can we know that we have a true love for the church when we can learn to love God and do what he wants us to do? That's, that's it. That's the whole crux of the situation there. We need to learn to love God. But here in verse number 21, he says that we are to love God, but he also says that we are to look for the mercy 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be looking forward constantly. We can't look back. Whenever we look back, Jesus says, we are not fit for the kingdom. We have to keep looking forward. We have to keep uh, looking for God's mercy. Titus chapter 3 in verse uh, 4 through 7 says that we are saved by God's mercy. Now the Bible tells us that we are saved by several things. But here in Titus, he tells us that we have been saved by the mercy of God. Let me read that to you. Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We are saved by the mercy of God. And that ultimately happens at the washing regeneration through baptism, as we have talked about in previous weeks. Yes, we are to look for the mercy of, of God. And then the last one this morning is in verse 22 and 23. He says, first of all, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that has been defiled by the flesh. First of all, we need to have compassion. And we talked a lot about that back in September when we talked about how we need to be a servant, how we need to have a, a true compassion for the lost souls, that we need to look at individuals, not maybe as a person, but look at them as having a soul, that they are doomed to eternity without God if they do not get themselves right with God. So we need to have compassion on those people around us. And if there's anything that we can see with Jesus uh, while he was here on the earth is that he had compassion on people, didn't he? There in uh, uh, Matthew tells, tells us that Jesus saw the multitudes and they were like a sheep without a shepherd and Jesus had compassion on them. He knew that they were just aimlessly walking around and Jesus felt compassion for them. Once we learn to have compassion for people, we'll learn. and It'll be so much easier for us to go and to talk to people about Jesus when we truly have compassion for them. But he also tells us here in verse number 23 that we also need to save people with fear. Sometimes we have to do that, don't we? We know that God is a compassionate God, but we also know that God is a just God. I don't want to see the justice of God. We mentioned several weeks ago, uh, back in 2 Kings, I believe, where God sent an angel down, and in one night, one angel killed 185,000 people. That's just by the command of God. God said, go do it. We need to sometimes impress upon people the fear of God. We can see that throughout the Old Testament several times in which God was so upset with his people, he was ready just to completely wipe them out. But then the compassion kind of kicked in. But sometimes we need to save people with fear. 
hey, so-and-so, if you don't get yourself right with God, you're going to have to meet him one day on Judgment Day. You can't do those things that you're doing in your life and expect to go to heaven one day. Sometimes we need to impress upon people fear. But we need to be careful in Galatians chapter 6, and we'll close with this thought this morning, we need to be careful that we do not get caught up in the same wickedness that we are trying to encourage other people not to get caught up in. In other words, it's important for us to sometimes look in the mirror and see where we are spiritually. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also become tempted. And so we need to be careful that when we go talk to people that we don't point fingers because we got three other fingers pointing back at us, don't we? So we need to be careful that we have ourselves in order. But yet we need to go out and to talk to people and encourage them to do what is right. So as a conclusion this morning, if I was to kind of <clears throat> put a thesis or a theme on this book, I would call this a how-to manual. Or what's the ones that they had out for a while, uh, just for dummies or something like that. I think I would do this on the book of Jude. A how-to manual, how to keep from falling away, and how to earnestly contend for the faith.